Picture this, you're sitting with your friends, other moms who have gone through a divorce or are contemplating, who maybe didn't picture their lives co-parenting, but are there with you. You're sharing your stories, you're inspiring each other, validating and challenging each other through your shared experiences. You're belly laughing, tearing up, and enjoying your favorite cup of coffee all at the same time. You don't judge each other, you empower each other to continue on your journey to heal and to just be you, whatever that looks like. Welcome to Co-Parenting and Coffee. Hey everyone. Hello, welcome. Hard to believe that we're still in the month of January, but. No, I saw something that was like, January is like 14 months long or something. And I'm like, it's so true. Well, we're in New England, so yeah, it's been brutal, brutally cold. Brutally cold. Um, And I mean, I even had a a three-day reprieve in in Florida and I'm still, Yeah, I know, shut up, Allie. Um, (laughs) I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Love that journey for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so before we dive into our coffee date, um, we got some feedback, some good feedback um, about our espresso shot about contemplating divorce, and it left some folks wanting more. So we decided to talk a little bit more about that here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some of the considerations that people might have and how to wrestle with that. And, um, you know, obviously the decision to leave a relationship or end a marriage, especially when there are kids involved is a really tough one. Um, and you know, I would say that for, uh, uh, most people, it's not one that people go straight to, right. It's, it's a, it's a decision that, that is, that involves a lot of deliberation and, and, you know, at least for me, it involved a lot of, um, I needed to find a lot of facts. I needed to sort of look at it from every angle and know that at the end, I tried every possible thing I could, every other alternative before I went there. Now, for some people that may not, may not be the case, you know, um, you know, I think when there's a, a, a serious betrayal, yeah. um, you know, maybe that is the last straw for someone, um, right. But sometimes also, even if there is a serious betrayal, you, you try to, um, you know, fix that. And then you realize down the road that because of that betrayal, you can't. Um, so I think there's just, it's just not easy either way. Right. And it's not, you know, and I'll speak from my own experience that, um, And I think this is true for a lot of people. It's not like it just comes up out of nowhere and you decide to do it. A lot of people, you know, wrestle with this thought for months or years even. Right. For sure. I mean, I think even in our support group, there'll be people that come in who are contemplating divorce that aren't actually divorced. And, you know, they kind of are doing their research to make a decision and, you know, and that's okay. Like, I think well, part, of, part of it is that we don't we don't have conversations about divorce until it's a, a, a relevant to to you, right? Right. Like, and I also think it's hard to talk about divorce if you're not in it or haven't been through it. Right. Well, so, I think like we were saying before, it, it feels like I mean a lot of people express this, and I felt this. 
is it feels like a failure. Like how could, and even more so like, what's the impact going to be on your kids? Right. So oh, wrestling God. with that, oh. contemplating that it's not a light, easy decision for yeah. sure. You know, I think, I think for me that the chief, chief among those considerations were yeah. how is this, how would this impact my children? And, you know, I did want to have, be able to look them in the eye and, and say, mommy tried everything um, yeah. and, and have it be true. Right. I totally, totally for a long time saw divorce as a failure yeah. Um, until finally it was like, for me, it was, it was the only option left. Right. And right. so even, even if it, it, it doesn't feel like a failure to me now, it actually no. feels like a really brave choice. It's an incredibly brave choice. Um, and you know, I think some people think of it as giving up or quitting, um, or they're too proud. Those things were all true for me. Mm-hmm. And, and- not only true, but also legit feelings. I mean, it's okay to feel that way. And that's where you were, right? So. Well, and I think from my standpoint, it just felt like I had tried everything and there was, there was no more, there was no more try left for me. It was either, either it wasn't, there wasn't an either. It was like, I've done everything I can. Yeah. This person is not going to ever be what I need or want them to be. Right. And so being alone as a single mom is, is at this point the only option that I have. And so, um, you know, or or it would have been the status quo of my life and Mm. me looking at serious, um, I want to say this, the struggles would have taken a toll on me that would not have had a positive impact on my future. And I didn't want to live like that. Yeah. And I don't blame you. I think I say this often because I get a little, I mean, I think more at the beginning when I was starting the support group and stuff is like, I don't want people to think I'm an advocate for for divorce. I'm not. I'm right. not out there trying to find married women to get them in my club. But I do, I am an advocate for being happy and fulfilling your life. And so if it means divorce, then that's what it means. And then I'm here to help or support or listen, yeah. you know? Yeah. And again, this is like a super, like this is a super personal decision. And I hope that our perspective can help someone collect information to make their own decision right um you know but I do I do you know we've seen so many women come through you know either physically beaten up or emotionally beaten up and just really in in that rough shape of of what my one of my dear friends calls the shit yeah that's where it is and um you know now being on the other side of that and, and having you know, of course, it's still, there's a reason we're here because co-parenting is easy, but having gotten through that and, and seeing that it had ultimately like a net positive for me, net positive yeah. for my kids, and I think even a net positive for my ex, you know, yeah. um, you know, we married young and, you know, I want to talk a little bit about culture, um, you know, both college educated, um, 
but you know, I came from a family, very Catholic upbringing. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of my relatives married young too. So it just sort of seemed like a norm to me. Um, and you know, if, if I were to go back, I think I'd like to have seen myself have more life experience before I married someone, but Right. you know, Yeah. I did So easy to look back. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did the best I could with the information I had and I did love him. Yeah. I did. Um, so, you know, um, but I do, you know, I also think that, you know, I had pair, you know, there's, there was divorce in, in my family and my father had been married before, but my parents stuck it out no matter what. And so I really emulated, not, not that it's their fault at all, but I really emulated their commitment to that, to their marriage and to each other. And, you know, maybe you have to have that commitment on both sides Right. Well, of yeah, that's what I was going to say, too, is like, that is wonderful, as long as it's on both sides. Mm -hmm. And Yeah. I've experienced, I'm remarried now. And I experienced like someone who never gives up, like never in the years we've been together now, like never once has like, made me feel like he's not trying, you know, and it's such an awesome feeling now, as opposed to before where it's like, I was, you know, on my own trying to do it myself, be in a marriage myself. And that just unfortunately doesn't work long-term, at least for me. <laughs> No, and it's hard to function when your dynamic is, you know, you're trying to manage two kids, your dynamic with your partner is toxic. It just, just it's it's not good on anyone, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So for for me, you know, I have I've been asked this like, do you have any? I've, I have no regrets. Right. No regrets. I still, I still feel bad when my kids they still struggle with it, and you know, Yeah. I've. I've been advised that it's going to, it's going to, it's kind of cyclical. Like it's going to, they're going to be okay. And then they're going to have a hard time with it again. It's not like Yeah. as they go through their developmental stages, um, they're still going to ask questions and they're still going to have a hard time with it. And, you know, around the holidays and whatever. So, you know, it's just the part of, that's part of this gig Yep. as, as a divorced mom. But I mean, if I think about the the state that they were in when my ex and I split up, oh my God. Right. They were in crisis. I think about like in the future, they're going to be able to see that as a woman, like you don't have to accept something that isn't working or isn't Yeah. right or isn't healthy, right? A woman Yeah. or a man, right? So. Yeah. That's really a good model for them to see and Yeah. So, yeah. So for, for someone who's wrestling with this decision and you have pressure from whether it's, you know, your community or your family or your religion. I mean, that's tough. Cause those are your, those are your, your people, but I also think, especially if you're getting abused, if, um, you know, you, you've tried everything and you're just, you just feel like it's, it's not working for you. And you, you, I mean, that can be a real place of despair, like between a rock and a hard place, right? Seek out, seek out resources, um, where you can kind of learn more about what the, what, you know, whether it's what, what your options are or, um, you know, talk to, talk to people who've been through it before. Um, I think that they can really help to, to shed some light. And of course, reach out to one of us. We're happy to, 
definitely to help you too. Always there. We have Jolie Vackey here today, and she is the founding attorney for Foundations Family Law. I'm going to read a little bit of her bio because it's so awesome, and she's so awesome. My favorite part here is she's the empowering and calming presence for her clients. Jolie is also an uncanny ability to transform into a zealous and compelling legal advocate when the occasion calls for it, which I can definitely see you being. Um, <laughs> collaboratively trained attorney and certified divorce and family law mediator and leverages her expertise and experience in alternative dispute resolution to obtain optimal results for her clients. And she's also a chicken lady, which I love. I am a crazy chicken lady, self-proclaimed. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean you have chickens? Yes, we have 20 chickens. We also have four ducks and four goats. So we have a little farm going on over here. <laughs> yeah. And children, right? Two children, yeah, and a great Pyrenees dog. We have, yeah, it's a lot of fun over here. <laughs> I think that like a farm and a lawyer is kind of a cool balance. That's what I use it for because I, you can imagine my my day-to-day job is very high demand and stressful. And, you know, I take on a lot from my clients um, because I care about their cases so much. So to kind yeah. of balance me out and um, it's great just to be out in nature with my animals and get me grounded. It's like the perfect counterbalance to my day job. Yeah, I love that. Thanks. So usually we start with what kind of coffee are you drinking or what do you drink? I am a definitely a coffee person and we just get, I don't know, breakfast K-cups in the morning, but I put tons of um, coffee made in it, like um, sweet cream coffee mate. Well, that's my mm-hmm. favorite. Yeah, I, I get the zero sugar one, so I feel a little bit better about it, but I at least have my two cups every morning. So I but- love creamer stuff, but it gives me a horrible stomach ache. Oh, Sometimes not- I still drink it anyways and deal with it but do you like flavored coffee or just flavored creamer well I usually do like plain coffee with the flavored Mm -hmm. creamer but if I'm out and there's a fancy one like I think Duncan has this like white chocolate hazelnut bark one right now that I'm digging so that's a lot of I was asking about that the other day when I was there and they didn't have it um yeah but there's a sign yeah I know it's on the sign it should be there So we're so excited to have you today. We think, you know, divorce attorneys are part of the, you know, process. Um, and especially the good ones. We need you. Yes. <laughs> in the honest ones, in the like, mm-hmm. like ones that are really go to bat for your clients. I mean, you know, I know you personally and you're just like a good person. And, and that's just so awesome, like, and so important. And I love you know, being able to share who you are with other people. So I'm excited for you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And I mean, when you are going through a divorce, you are going to be spending a lot of time with your divorce attorney. And you're talking Mm -hmm. about the most intimate parts of your life that, you know, you don't share with some, you know, people that are really close to you. Um, So it's important that you have a good relationship with your attorney. And so I just try to be, I mean, I am very just down to earth and I know I, I talk about my life with my clients, you know, I'm a mom, I have kids, um, just so, you know, we can build that rapport and have that trust. And 
at the end of the day, like I want to know my clients' stories because I want to have that motivation to go to bat for them in the court. And, you know, I know some attorneys, they kind of just like want to stick to the facts. And obviously it's important to know that. But like I said, knowing your why for why you're asking for something or you want something, that's important to me. And like I said, it helps me do my job better. Yeah. When someone comes to you and they're like right at the beginning and they're so unsure, how do you help them? How do you manage that? Yeah. So I do these consults every day. People are coming to me and they're right at the beginning and they're just, they can't see the forest through the trees. It is just terrifying. Yes. It's so overwhelming. It's all they've heard is horror stories. Yeah. And they just don't really know where they are in this whirlwind of crap. Right. So how I really start out my consults is I kind of just let the prospective client just like talk. And I always say like, what do you want me to know? Because then what's important to them is going to come out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it could be a long story. It could be um, a a recent event that's really on their heart. But I want to know like in the moment, what's on your mind. Um, And then I kind of get into more of what the process looks like moving forward. So you can have like a roadmap. So there's different options about filing for divorce. You can try to do it the uncontested route. You can Mm. file and go the contested route. So we talk about, you know, what would make sense for them. Um, And then it's really important to know, like at the end of all this, what are your goals? Like, what are Mm. your non-negotiables? What would you like to happen, but might, you know, be willing to let go of if you had to, Mm. um, because that's really going to serve as our roadmap throughout this. We're always going to be coming back to those goals. So it's really, like I said, just letting them do a a brain dump for me, Mm -hmm. giving them a roadmap and then clarifying what their goals are. I mean, people are at different places. Sometimes they're just getting information. They were ready to file yesterday. So we'll always make a plan about like, what are the next steps from here? That's that's how I usually- I think a roadmap is such a- awesome thing for them to have because I think especially the women I see with that are just coming in I think just having a little direction maybe gives them a little peace which is nice it's always the unknown is always scarier right so if you at least know what you're walking into even if you don't understand all the details and nuances yet but you know Mm. okay we're going to file and then we're going to get a summons and he's going to be served. And then right. we could file a motion and then we're going to negotiate and, you know, exchange documents, just kind of like laying it out. So they have that lay of the land. So mm-hmm. at least they know like which, which way they're headed, you know, instead yeah, right. of ground in circles. Yeah. Cause it is, I mean, it's such a scary place to be, but then kind of skipping ahead here, cause we're really talking about more about co-parenting If we're, you know, kind of through that whole process, the beginning, and we've already settled and stuff, I think a fear um, for many people that are co-parenting is modification, right? Yeah. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain about modification. And can anyone just modify at any time? So theoretically, yes, anyone can file a modification at any Mm -hmm. time, but that doesn't mean they have the grounds to do it. So in order to request a modification, you have to, and it's right in the complaint when you fill it out, you have to list in detail what the change in circumstances have have been since the last judgment entered that would warrant a modification. So okay. yeah, so it can't just be 
you know, I don't like our holiday schedule anymore. Right. <laughs> that um, it would have, let's just take child support because that one's usually pretty black and white. Like if somebody's mm -hmm. income's changed, if it's gone up or down, or maybe, you know, one person was supposed to cover health insurance and now they're not anymore. Yeah. That would be a change in circumstance that would warrant a child support modification. Right. Um, so with the, you know, with custody or the parenting schedule, if you have a parenting schedule, but somebody gets a new job and so they're working different days, that would be a reason why the parenting schedule would have to be changed. Yeah. But where it gets tough is with like the legal custody stuff, because, yeah. you know, a lot of parents have joint legal custody yeah. um, that they, you know, agree to in their divorce. And then afterwards, the shit hits the fan and it's really not going well. And yeah. one parent wants, you know, to have sole legal custody well you have to put all the reasons why in your modification in your modification and the complaint justifying that and that can be hard to do because a lot of times it's not black and white like the numbers with child support right like nothing is black yeah. and white. to do it on your own is really difficult so mm -hmm. um even if you just you know hire an attorney to help you draft your documents that's mm -hmm. really important you want to get the pleadings correct so you have you know a leg to stand on when you go to court um there are lawyer of the day programs in court they're not fabulous but they are option out there there's usually yeah. some like a lawyer once a week for a few hours at each of the court or just even paying an attorney for their hour an hour of their time just to yeah. even if you do a consult and say this is what i'm dealing with what do you recommend i put in my pleading that mm. could be helpful um, but yeah, modifications always in the background. It's kind of like yeah. elephant in the room. Every like whenever something happens, there's a disagreement. You know, somebody will be like, "Well, I'll just take you back to court." It's kind of like that. Right. The one thing that I like to recommend is if you want to, if you want to do a modification, make mm -hmm. sure it's for a good reason because mm -hmm. you want to pick your battles. Like, make sure. it. I, like you don't want to just go in for something minor because court's expensive. It's long. It's emotionally draining. So make mm -hmm. it worth your while. But if you do go to court or if you get served with a modification, so you have no choice, you're going to be in court. Mm -hmm. If you want changes to your, let's say your divorce judgment, include yeah. all because you're already in court. Yeah. You know? Oh, you can do that. I didn't even yeah. know you can do that. Okay. So if you're yeah. going in for a modification, anything is modif modifiable. So anything child related yeah so okay. in your divorce well, yeah, that's yeah the asset and debt division like that's right yeah you can't go back that's one and done can't do that but anything with the kids yeah. is modifiable so mm -hmm. if one person is filing a child support modification and you mm -hmm. want to change the schedule that's fine you can do it as a counterclaim and they'll <clears> all be in the same modification. something that i've seen a lot in our group is people that end up being divorced and then keep having to go back for modifications for changes of circumstances or like activities or like right like small things or there's like or... contempt contempt filings yeah. you know it's like interesting and when you know obviously it's easy for us to look at and say like this is litigation abuse but can you use that in court can like if you have many modification like filings or like how do you deal with something where I I call it chronic divorce mm -hmm. <laughs> so like if you're in like 
so I think of like it worse, like the flu, right? Like it's really terrible. It's really sick, but it's for a defined amount of time. I mean, probably worse than the flu. But... Medicine, they call that acute, right? Yeah, right. Okay. So acute, but then there's some divorces that are like chronic, like yeah. they go on for years and years and years and you start getting feeling better and then it comes back. Mm-hmm. So when you see that as an attorney, how do you deal with that for your client? How do you best protect your client or, or make that the court aware of that? Yeah. Do you, are you, are you able to like point at it and be like, your right. honor, look at this. Yeah. So it definitely depends on the circumstance. So if there's been a history of modifications filed by the other party and mm-hmm. they've been dismissed or, you know, um, there's been contempts and you've not been found guilty of them and there's like a clear record of them, mm-hmm. um, well, there's a couple of things you can do. So if they file a contempt against you or a modification against you, you can mm-hmm. do a motion to dismiss or a motion for summary judgment and just saying there's nothing even here that's worth moving forward on as a matter of law. So you could try to do that route. And then you can also file a motion for it's called a protective order, where basically there's going to be a gatekeeping process in place that for the other party to file a pleading against you, it just won't be automatically accepted by the court. It basically uh-huh. has to be a go, go through a special um, review process with the registry, and they're going to decide based on the pleading, the paper itself, whether it merits even being docketed. So uh-huh. there are some options available out there. I mean, it is hard to sh- to prove, right? Because right. I mean, people can come up with changes in circumstances, so you know they can it can seem legit, but yeah. it really. Uh, based off of like a pattern or history of you know repeated actions filed against you that you would have the best shot to get that kind of a protective order in place litigation abuse it's a form of post-separation abuse because you know when once the litigation's over and you know there's clear expectations and boundaries it's like the abusive partner they don't have any like they have nothing left they have no more leverage and so they just yeah yes they they feel that sense and that loss of control so they and I mean there's also this like whole mindset and it's terrible but it's like the bankrupt the mom mindset Mm -hmm. strategy that some people uh utilize and they just want to continue to financially abuse their ex-spouse by -hmm. just constantly dragging them back into court do you ever have clients that do that like or that want to do that no, I would never let that happen. See, as right. I, like, no, I no. would not. I, I am very picky about my clients. Like I, I just don't take anybody who walks in off the street. Like I don't want to enable that kind of harassment or behavior. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, unfortunately there are some attorneys out there that will, <laughs> like, yeah. just honest with you, you know, they're just, they, you know, looking for the billable hours, but no, I don't tolerate that kind of abusive behavior from my clients. And if they want to do that and they won't listen to me, then they're not going to be my client anymore. I love that integrity. Thank you for, thank you for uh, setting that example. I do wish that more of your colleagues could be, um, be thoughtful about the, you know, their work and its impact. Do you, do you ever see instances where that's happening and um, your client is able to, I know this is a tough one, but like ever recoup legal fees from the, from their ex, the person who's, you know, taking them to court. What's that look like? The judges, I think are hesitant to award attorney's fees. They really want 
each party to have a stake in it and pay their own attorneys. So yeah. there has to be some finding of wrongdoing on the other party's behalf, really, for them to award attorney's fees. So the most common examples are if somebody is found in contempt, then the lawyer or the judges are more likely to order attorney's fees for the person who had to file. Um, so that's one situation. And then another one is with discovery disputes. So if you, you know, ask for, you know, you send interrogatories or requests for production of documents to the other side, they're supposed mm -hmm. to provide them to you. If they don't, then you have to do this thing called a motion to compel. It's like, it's a, it's a ton of red tape, all this stuff you have to do to get the other side to give you what you're entitled to. Mm -hmm. But if the other side, you know, disobeys orders from the judge about complying with this, then you have a good shot for getting attorney's fees too. So there mm -hmm. usually has to be, ha be some kind of like demonstrated wrongdoing to get attorney's fees. So it's hard. It's, it's not yeah. guaranteed. Even when I think we have a slam dunk case for attorney's fees, Sometimes the judges are reluctant to do it. Yeah. What about child support? When child support is becomes in, your 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 ex owes you child support, they're in arrears. You know, obviously you, you that's a contempt, right? That's yep. a contempt filing. Do you see clients ending up getting that retroactive child support, or what's the what does that look like for people? Because I know there's a lot of instances where where ex spouses are not paying the way they they ought to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the earlier you can file a contempt for child support arrears, the better, because mm -hmm. what usually ends up happening is if you wait a couple of years and you go back and file a contempt for, let's just say, $15,000 worth of child support arrears, what usually ends up happening is one of two things. Either they're going to pay you a decreased lump sum. So maybe you'll get like eight grand of that 15 back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or they're just going to tack on, you know, a smaller payment for arrears onto your regular child support payment. So you might be getting an extra 40 bucks a week, but it's for like the next 10 years or anything, you know, so it doesn't really have any like significant impact or like, it, you know, positive, like anything in your life right now. So, um, yeah, the sooner you can file a contempt for child support arrears, the better. If you do get paid through DOR, they are, I mean, they have more things that they can do to motivate people to not have child support arrears. You know, they can yeah. um, intercept child or um, tax return money. They can pull your license. They have a lot more. So, and one question that I get a lot from people is like they're, maybe their divorce judgment says they other, they're like ex is supposed to pay them weekly, you know, directly. They're supposed to do a direct deposit. Uh -huh. Even if that's your order, you can always go onto the Mass DOR website and request child support enforcement. You don't need your divorce judgment to say it's paid through DOR to ask for it to be paid through DOR. Mm -hmm. So if that's something you want, you can just do that on your own and the state will help you with that. Is there an advance? So do you think, like in my case, we don't go through the DOR, we do it ourselves. Do you mm -hmm. think that there, I mean, I don't think I would change it, but because it's worked fine for years, but is there an advantage to going through the, the DOR if everything's going fine? I think so, just because it creates a clear record. Like if mm. you ever had to go back and pull records, you'd have to go through your bank account and look for like right. the individual transactions. But yeah. with DOR, you get an online account and it has everything there. It's all in one place. Mm -hmm. um, it says, you know, what has what the order is, if there's any arrears, if there's interest, it has it all there. It's just like mm -hmm. one stop shopping. It's great. Right. Mm -hmm. And that sort of sounds like an advantage for both parties, because 
then I mean, especially if you're being paid correctly the, the whole time, like exactly, yeah, they, yeah, if you're paying child support, you have your record there. You don't have to pull together all those payments either. Mm -hmm. Nice, it's nice and clean, you know, and efficient. Yeah. Um, alienation. So this is an interesting one because I, I've seen I've seen the um results of what alienation. It's so insidious, like how it can impact families. But I've also seen instances where there's been accusations levied where they're not. It's completely untrue. Mm -hmm. Can we, can you talk to us a little bit about what you see and what people should do when, when the, it comes up, especially if, if you're being accused and it's not true. So alienation is a big buzzword in family court right now. Yeah. Um, it really came about from the father's rights groups who started, um, looking and they had this research done and, and it, it came about that there was this parental alienation syndrome basically where moms were alienating children from fathers right. but there really is no research to back this up and it's it's not recognized by any sort of accredited anything so <laughs> this whole alienation um, movement really is I say it's the language of the abuser so when when a, it's usually a dad is saying that they're being alienated from mom. There, it's usually in response to the mom being a protective parent for, uh, for valid reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and so instead of taking any responsibility in that dynamic, you know, the dad just says, Oh, mom's alienating me. She's coaching the kids to hate me. This is why they don't want to come see me mm -hmm. instead of saying, looking at themselves and saying, hmm, maybe some of my behavior or words or whatever, my relationship with my kids has some part in this dynamic. Right. Um, so I think a lot of the court professionals are moving away from the term alienation. And instead, the professionals are now using the terms resist, refuse. That's where a child is resisting or refusing to go to parenting time with the mm -hmm. other parent. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, I know. It's, so, yeah. That's yeah. So that's like the language shift that's happened recently. Um, but so I just, alienation is tough. It's gray because there's certainly, I've, I definitely have been involved in cases where parents are having inappropriate conversations with their kids. They mm -hmm. are smearing the other parent, like right. there's coaching going on. It is not good. And the court doesn't want parents to be engaging in this, but it's like, how do, because we don't want to say alienation, maybe the kids aren't resisting or refusing. So like, how do we explain this dynamic, you know? And so how I usually talk about it to the court is that, you know, one parent is either coaching the, the children or interrogating them a lot. That's a tactic that's used a lot, like trying to get information about what happens at the other parent's home. But this is just a really complicated and it, it's so case specific because then there's this whole other issue that gets brought in about like reunification therapy with the estranged parent. And it's not always great for a child to have to go to therapy with their abuser. Yeah, <laughs> you right. think that this is like common sense stuff, but in family court, it's not because the judges have, they, they put it up on this pedestal that a child needs two parents in their life. And mm -hmm. it's just, they can't wrap their head around that. Maybe 
less, less contact with one parent for a valid reason is actually what's going to be best for the child. So that's kind of just my thoughts on that, but it is so case specific. And it's so also dependent on who you have as a judge, because yes. some judges are adamant that they want like, you know, 50, 50 shared parenting, like that's just their default. Whereas other ones are much more informed about, you know, coercive control and forms of domestic violence that might not be physical and manipulation. So it's such a crapshoot. So you, this, if you have this kind of a case where you're being, you know, there's allegations that you're alienating the children, but you're actually just a protective parent. If you can get an attorney, even just to consult with, I would highly advise you do so because these cases are tough. They're even tough for lawyers. Like, like so as a pro se litigant, you're at, it's so hard. Yeah. I think it seems like the alienation thing kind of did like a pendulum swing. Like it was like sort of in the, I hate saying like in the mother's favor for a while. And then it swung like really high in the father's like, and now everybody's like alienation, alienation. Um, but it does seem to be like, at least from what I see, like coming down a bit, like, yeah, there's been a lot of pushback against the alienation from yeah. the foreign rights groups. And so I right. think, yeah, it is kind of losing steam, yeah. but it's definitely made an impact. It's a buzzword. Like when it yeah. comes out in almost every case, you know, if, yeah. if mom wants to have primary physical custody, well, she's alienating the kids from dad. That's like just the default now. That's what they go to, you know, because right. she doesn't want shared custody. Mm -hmm. So Julie, you brought up for resist, refuse, I think is what you called it. Mm -hmm. What about, I mean, what, 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 what do you advise your clients when the kids do refuse to go to the other yeah. parent's house? Or, you know, what about when they're teenagers and they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to go to that other parent's mm -hmm. house. I mean, at what so, point do the kids have a real say over that? Yeah. So I really like the magic age is around age 14, where the, where the courts are kind of like, we can't really force a teenager to, you know, like you can't put them, it's like, they're not a toddler that you can strap into a, a car seat and drive them, you know, like you can't do that. So it really depends on the age of the child. So if it is a school age child or a toddler, I mean, unfortunately I have to tell my, my parent my um clients that they have to bring them to the other parent's house yeah. um and I mean there is too like there's a lot when there's a divorce happening like this is a huge transition for kids too Absolutely. so I mean it is common and not unusual for kids to have kind of have freak out and they're like wait I'm leaving mom and I just have to go be with dad right now I've never done this before and so they like can have a meltdown and it could take a few weeks or months for that it's like a separation anxiety thing yeah so that is common and it is heartbreaking to see your child upset. But I, you know, I think we've all dealt with this as parents, like you drop your kid off at preschool and they're having, you, they're so upset and don't want you to leave and they're clinging to you. And then five minutes later you call the school and they're like, fine. You right. know? And then you're oh. like anxious all day. Yeah. And then you get there and they're like, oh, you're here. Like, yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, the exchanges are just, they're tough on everybody. You know, they get easier with time, but the beginning mm -hmm. is rough. So that's one thing, but if it's a, ugh, the hardest ones are when it's like a preteen, like a teenager, right. if they're like 11, 12, like you, I, I have to tell my clients, you have to, you have to make them go, you know, right. like I've even had situations where my clients have driven their kids to the other parent's house 
and the child has refused to get out of the car. Yeah. I mean, there's you can't drag them into the house when they're at age, but at least you're making the effort, you know? Mm -hmm. It's it's hard, but the older they get, the less the court is going to force them to go if they really don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of these situations, if they're like the tween age age, like I was talking about, mm-hmm. it can be so helpful to ask the court for ARC counsel for the child. It stands for attorney representing the child. Mm-hmm. These are attorneys who are free. They're volunteers and they represent children. So the mm-hmm. child is their attorney. The attorney goes out to them, talks with them, and they represent what they want to happen in court. They tell the judge exactly what they want. It's mm-hmm. different than a GAL because a guardian ad litem is recommending what they think is in the best interest for the child. But yeah. the attorney, no matter what the child's position is, that attorney communicates it to the judge. So they are the child's voice in court. And that's what I usually recommend when we have one of these resist, refuse dynamics going on. That's really helpful to hear. I'm sure for a lot of folks. So thank you. You're welcome. Since we're using buzzwords today, and I know one of the big buzzwords, especially in the divorce co-parenting world is narcissistic Mm -hmm. and dealing with a, yeah. yeah. And how do you manage dealing with that for your clients and in court? Yes, this is become more of a trendy word lately too, which I'm, I'm, it's a double-edged sword. I'm happy that it's being talked about so more people can understand it and learn about it because it's not the most intuitive thing to just understand. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I worry that the misuse of this term is going to dilute the belief. Yeah. It's going to make the people who actually experience this be questioned more or, you know, it just, it's tough. So narcissistic abuse, and it's also being called a coercive control nowadays too, which I think is helping with the whole like overuse of the word narcissism. Um, But it's a, it's a form of domestic violence. It's a not, there can be, you know, physical instances involved in these relationships, but most of it is non-physical. So it's emotional. Um, it can be financial. Um, it's all about manipulation, control, there's gaslighting. And it's the best way I can explain it is like one spouse is constantly walking on eggshells because they never know what they're going to get. There is an abuse cycle where there's like love bombing. And then, you know, there's a discard phase and a devaluing phase. So it, it has a cycle of abuse, but it's not usually physical. And mm-hmm. that's why it's so hard, number one, to prove, mm-hmm. and number two, for the courts to take seriously. Right. It's, it's hard because if you sit a day in family court, you will see like what kind of cases the judges deal with. They mm-hmm. deal with horrific instances of domestic violence, child right. abuse, sexual abuse. And then, you know, you have cases where you come in and you're trying to explain this non-physical form of violence to them. And in that, in the course of their day, that to them just seems so much more minor or less serious. It's like, you can't grasp the severity of it because they haven't lived it. And so, and you can't call the other party a narcissist in court. That's like a no no because that's a mental health diagnosis and if you're not a mental health provider if you say that they're just going to you know give you tons of shit about it because you're diagnosing them without a degree so 
Well, what I advise my clients to do in these situations is we need to focus on patterns of behavior. And that is what we need to show to the court. So whether it is, you know, narcissists lie all the time. (laughs) So, uh, and even in the face of like evidence, like to the contrary, how I explain it is like Trump always saying that he won Mm -hmm. the last election, Mm -hmm. no matter how much evidence you show that that Mm -hmm. is false, he still keeps saying it. And that's what narcissists do. Like Mm -hmm. they'll say the sky is red and you literally can show them a picture that it's blue and they'll still say it's red. It's like that of craziness and mm-hmm. it cannot it sometimes it doesn't seem like it's such a big thing but it's constant it's insidious and mm-hmm. so much of it is a is um blaming the other parent it's like they can't help themselves they can find nothing positive about you all they do is complain about everything and the the real sad part about all of this, it's horrible for the other, you know, partner who went through this relationship, but you have a child or children in the middle of this crazy, unhealthy, toxic situation. Mm-hmm. And that's really what you need to show the judge is that this kind of unhealthy dynamic is not good for them. And often narcissists weaponize children against the other parent when there's separation, because that's the form of control that they have left. Right. And that's like what hurts you the most, like mm-hmm. hurt hurt me, whatever, but like hurt yeah. my kid, forget yeah. about it. Like, seriously. Yeah. One yeah. thing is, so um, there is a law in Massachusetts. It's, a, it's um, a rebuttable presumption. And so if there's been a history of domestic violence in the relationship, and mm-hmm. usually it's multiple instances or like one really bad one. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a presumption that the parents should not have joint custody. Why I mention this is because it's usually, as I mentioned in the beginning, like applied to situations of physical violence. Mm-hmm. But there is a bill right now in um, in Massachusetts legislature to, it's about coercive control. So it's including coercive control in the definition of domestic violence. So it would expand, you know, people's ability to get restraining orders for this kind Mm -hmm. of abuse. Mm -hmm. And I also foresee if this does pass, being able to use that presumption about coercive control and being a presumption against joint legal custody and joint physical custody for victims of narcissistic abuse. So that's just something Mm -hmm. I would hope would happen because- that would give survivors a huge leg up in these cases, because like I said, they're hard to prove and for the yes. judge to just get it. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, I imagine it's hard for a judge to see a difference between like these two idiots can't, can't come to an agreement versus. Exactly. You know, it, it's a lot easier to, to, you know, show the, the photo of the black eye or whatever, as opposed right. to. Yes. And that's the thing. Um, they, they want to call these cases high conflict, yeah. right? Um, but what they don't realize is it only takes one person in the partnership to be high conflict. Yeah. If, you know, uh, so they, you know, they want to say it, it's both of them. Both of them can't, they just can't work together, you know, right. like all this stuff. But that's not always the case. A lot of time, and it's really hard because when you are on the receiving end of this kind of abuse, like, what are you supposed to do? Just roll over and let them like walk all over you? Like, it's yeah. really hard. Um, so it's really, I help my clients with, you know, setting boundaries and a lot, a lot of it is like how to communicate with the other side. Not mm-hmm. everything needs to be responded to, you mm-hmm. know, um, 
it so a lot of it is just really like managing your your energy with the other person and not letting them completely consume you because it's so easy to get sucked into their craziness for sure is, but especially with the with a narcissist is exactly what they want right exactly right. and that's giving that that's feeding their that's feeding their source of everything you know <laughs> right. so yeah, if you're just if you just are, you know, can be it's called biff communication, yeah. brief, um, informative, friendly, and firm. That if you try right. to just do those and nothing more, then it's gonna help you a lot. And mm-hmm. you just can't ruminate over it all because a lot of I times think that takes skill though. I think yeah. I at least I've noticed yeah. and you probably have too, like when people first start, it's like everything's a fire. And then by the yeah. time they're kind of through it, they're like laughing almost laughing about it it's like okay ridiculous I'm gonna like say yes and that's it yeah you're totally right and that's the point when you can laugh about it and just be Mm -hmm. like oh with that like here he comes yeah here he comes again like when you can laugh about it you really know if you turned a corner because it's not like stealing your peace anymore you can just let it roll off and just keep going on and not let it dull your shine so I think you gave us so much awesome information, but I did want to talk about Divorce Detox in yes. your podcast that we love so much. It's such a great resource for people going through a divorce or people co-parenting also. So tell us about it. Well, Jillian, you've been on our a guest on our I podcast. Know. So thank you so much. And I'm so glad you guys have your podcast now. This is great. I mean, the more resources that are out there, the better right. for everyone. I agree. But yeah, so I co-host, it's a weekly podcast called Divorce Detox. It comes out every Sunday and I co-host it with my friend and her name is Lisa Happ and she's a certified divorce coach, narcissistic abuse coach, grief coach. I don't know. She has like 10 different certifications. She's just a wealth of knowledge and she's also a former therapist. So she knows what she's talking about. Um, So we talk about a different topic every week related to divorce. We like to have a holistic view. So we've had people on there that you wouldn't really think are related to divorce. We've had like um, a woman who reads human design charts. We've had a woman who talks about, um, oh God, all different things. Reiki, like I'm telling you, like we, it's really out of the box. But then we talk about court stuff and co-parenting too. So we try to make it really comprehensive. Um, so yeah, we would love for anyone to check it out. It's on Apple podcast and Spotify. And Lisa and I just started, it's um, every other month we're doing a live webinar. We're calling it the Divorce Detox Deep Dive. And so you can sign up and it's just, you come for an hour on Zoom and you can ask questions. Um, our next one's March 20th. And what's the, mar- there's a topic related, right? So what's yes. the topic? Yeah. So every um, deep dive is a different topic. Last month mm-hmm. in January, we did divorce finances. We had had a CDFA on a, a certified divorce financial analyst. The mm. next one coming up in March is about real estate and mortgages and refinancing. Wow. And this is a such an important case. topic. Oh my yeah. gosh. All my cases are dealing with this right now when there's a marital home because the rates yeah. are so high and it's a, it's so hard. So that's mm. what our next one is going to be focused Oof. on. That's so awesome. Thank you for doing that. And like I, I've said a million times, but I love as many, like, I don't ever feel competitive with anyone doing a podcast, especially in this space, because there's room for everybody. There's so much information and yeah, like, we just all want to be part of this community that's making things better for people. So is there a place for people to follow you on social media? 
Yeah. So my firm is Foundations Family Law. So all my socials are under that name, Foundations Family Law. And then we also have a divorce detox on Instagram too. And we have a website. Awesome. And we'll link everything in the podcast. So thank you. Amazing. Oh, this has been such a wonderful experience. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us. Of course. For having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank you. We just had our interview with Jolie, who's so helpful and awesome. And amazing. We just, we just love a good divorce attorney, right? <laughs> <laughs> so for our last segment today, we are do we started doing an open mic in what we're thinking this is going to be is anybody wants to share their stories. All of these stories are going to be anonymous. We want stories of all different places you are, wherever you are. Um, we both like like to write and feel like writing is helpful and healing and being able to go back and learn from what you wrote before, see where you grew and that type of stuff. Um, so share stories. And luckily, we've already had a couple stories come in. So we have something to read today. Um, so exciting. Yeah. This is a beginning of divorce story. And I'm going to share it here. So the story is, I'm laying here feeling raw and vulnerable. Mad that again, I have put myself out there to allow you to break me. The truth is, I'm broken anyways. I've put my pieces back the best I can with a bunch missing. Although I feel raw, I also feel free. I feel better because now you know everything. You know my heart. The hard part is I know yours, or more accurately, your head. Who you are and your illness have become one and the same. What I want is a partner who sees me, who loves and respects me. You act as though because I tell you the truth about how I feel that I am pathetic or weak. You are wrong. I am strong. Stronger than I ever knew possible, stronger for facing my problems, for getting up every morning and taking care of our children, and for things you know nothing about. Distance and time has made me see things about you, about myself, and about us that are damaged. I see now how your head has ripped you away, some pieces slowly over time and some in big chunks. The wounds I feel from your pure disrespect for me for our marriage, for who we truly were, feels like waves of aching that continuously disappear and return. All of my past with you is now washed with pain. All of my memories hurt. I want you to see this. I want you to feel the pain I'm in, not because I want you to hurt, but because I want you to understand. Oh, that was powerful. Yeah, it's a hard place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Because we've all felt it in some way, whether you're at the point where you're just contemplating divorce or you're in it or you're co-parenting. And that's why I think the real impact that these stories that you share, and I really encourage you to share them. And and I'm hoping we get some hopeful, exciting ones too, not just yeah. sad ones. Yes right um share your successes share your celebrations too yeah, we want to celebrate with you right as well and cheer for you. what's so powerful about these stories is that 
when you share it, other people have experienced it. Yes. There's always a piece that someone will relate to, right? right. No matter how different the situation is, there's always little pieces that you can reflect on and totally understand. So please, please share. Yes, please. And you can, you can do that with us either on our website called parentingandcoffee.com or you can, on Facebook, we have a group as well as uh, co-parenting.and.coffee on Instagram. We also would love it if you left us a review. We'd love to be able to hear your feedback. We read them all and it really means a lot to us to hear what you think of our show. And lastly, still haven't haven't quite gotten to the point of launching our support group, but would love to hear from those of you who might be interested in participating so we can figure out when that optimal time is for that. So Jill, did I forget anything? I don't think so. You got it. All right, you guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for Co-Parenting and Coffee. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. If you liked our podcast, feel free to drop us a review. We'd appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing you next time for a cup of coffee and a chat with another expert on co-parenting.